examination for communion? Oh yes. You, they oh, have yes. to take a test? Oh before? yes. Oh Seriously? Yes. You have to do a test of catechesis. We share everything. We share the sorrows. We share the joy. Every day from Monday to Monday. So this is something really which has touched my life and which has touched me. Here's your host. Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM and I'll be your host. Thanks for joining us. The church is in the second week of Advent with the two purple candles lit. We are halfway through Advent, and this week we light the rose candle in honor of Gaudete Sunday, which comes from the Latin word to rejoice. The posse will be previewing the Gospel of Matthew for the third Sunday of Advent. After we finish our Gospel discussion, we will be talking to Father Dennis about his internship in the United States, which is coming to end here in about a month. Yes. Uh, uh, introduce the posse around the table tonight. We have uh, Father Dennis, of course. Hey, everyone. Father Marty. Good evening, everybody. Father Mike. Hi, everybody. And Father James. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time to uh, uh, record the show again. In our news and notes tonight on uh, December 8th, we have the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That is a holy day of obligation. It correct? certainly is. And our mass schedule is on the 7th at 5.30 p.m. And then on the day, uh, 7 a.m. at Mary St. Patrick's, 9 a.m. at Notre Dame, 12.10 at St. Paul's, and 6.30 at St. Mary's in Dodgeville. Now, where's that vigil mass at? Oh, that's at St. John's. Thank you. This coming week or so is just full of uh, special things, isn't it? It is. Um, the weekend of December 10th and 11th, um, we are going to bless... The Bambinelli, and that is basically Italian for the uh, baby Jesus figure out of your nativity scenes. And so it was started in Rome uh, by St. John Paul II, and then Benedict and Francis have both continued the tradition, and it has spread into the the parishes. And so we did it last year, and I've got to tell a funny story about that, because, um, and you might remember this, Father James, but we did it on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and one of our parishioners forgot to bring baby Jesus with her to the mass she attended. So at the 5 p.m. mass um, that night, um, she had her granddaughter bring baby Jesus. And she said, Mom, it was kind of funny. Everyone had one and Nana had about 30 of them. So (laughs) (laughs) they felt a little out of place. So (laughs) So you're, you're supposed to bring your baby Jesus to mass with you. Yes. And then you, and we bless it. We have a special blessing that... Pope Benedict um, prayed during the 2008 blessing, and we will use that as well. Oh, very good. Yes. All right. So everybody, remember your baby Jesus. Uh, and then on the 12th of December is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Is that a Hispanic-only feast day, or is, does the whole church celebrate that? The whole church celebrates it. Okay. Um well, That's a good question. I wonder if Europe and other parts of the world, if it's just the Americas... That do it. That's a very, very question. I'm going to look it up here if I can find it. But I know, at least from my time at Mundelein, there'd be droves of people that would go to the Our Lady of Guadalupe shrine in the Chicagoland area. Like they'd be lined up for miles as people would go on a pilgrimage to that site. You know, it's very for the Hispanic 
family for the Hispanic culture, especially those in Mexico. It's a, it's a very, very important feast day, just like in Ireland for St. Patty's Day. Mm-hmm. Our Lady of Guadalupe is just one of the names we have for Mary, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So here's what the Ordo says. Declared patroness of the Americas by Pope Pius Twelfth and raised to the rank of a feast for all the countries of the Americas by the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, 25 March 1999. So it is a feast. We have Gloria that day. Uh, Father Marty, how is the um, Advent Rejoice Mission going in the parish? I hear it's going very, very good. Um, I'm doing it individually, and, and I find it very, um, the questions very um, heart-moving, um, a lot to reflect on there, and so it's been going good. Good deal. I finally got up in the attic and brought the Advent wreath down the other day. All right. Along with all of the other Christmas decorations, of course. <laughs> well, Father James made an interesting comment before we started tonight. You would think in this rectory there would be an Advent wreath, but there is not. Although I do notice we have two purple and two rose-colored candles up top. There. No, you got two like bluish-purple and two maroon kind of colored <laughs> on the top. Yeah. And, and we got a giant red candle in the middle. Yes. <laughs> we have failed. If you took the garland and wrapped it around on itself, it would be a, a circle. So you could kind of count that as an advent. <laughs> we have failed. Okay. That's we, a stretch. We, <laughs> we, we, may, we may be reaching just a bit there. The, um, wheels, the wheels are turning, though, in Father Phillips's head right now as he looks to well, try. I was just going to say to the people out there, don't send advent wreaths to St. John's because you're going to get inundated with hundreds of advent wreaths now go ahead and drop from off. our loyal listeners. Go ahead and drop them off here at the parish. We'll give them to Father Phillips. He loves decorating <laughs> his house with them. Oh, yeah. My house is very pretty. So. You could line the sidewalk with them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Set of luminaries. He's got Father Marty, talk a little bit about communal penance coming up. Well, we're going to do something different this year. Um, everyone's got to get up in front of everybody and confess. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, we used to have a priest in the Quad Cities who made us do that. Uh-huh. If you volunteer to hear confessions at the communal penance, he said, now, if a good example would be if all the priests went to each other to be <laughs> um, he left. He lost about half of the priests when, they, when he suggested that. Mm-hmm. But anyway... Now, communal penance means that we're going to have a number of priests here. I believe there will be seven of us here, including four sitting around this table now. And it's an opportunity for you to come to receive um, during this Advent season, a time of reconciliation called the conversion, the chance to make things smooth and straight with the Lord before we celebrate Christmas. So be on December 17th at 10 a.m. at St. John's Church. Uh, Are there any other news or events or anything we need to... To get in there? Not that I can think of. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's get her going here. Father Dennis, you have our, uh, since you're kind of the uh, the guest of honor tonight, uh, you've got an opening prayer the for slam in Tanzania with a <laughs> sir from heck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord our God, as we continue to meditate, on this special moment of Advent. Show your care for all who dedicate their lives and the time in spreading the good news, especially the team of KCDMLP, our radio station, and the other radio stations as well. May your grace inspire their actions and sustain them in their mission. We make this prayer. 
through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Dennis. Tonight, the Potsy will discuss Matthew's Gospel for the third Sunday of Advent, and that's chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. In this reading, we continue with an imprisoned John the Baptist asking if Jesus is the one who is to come. Jesus confirms that John is more than a prophet, saying, John is a messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, yet there are higher pursuits. And again, Father Dennis, you have our gospel reading for tonight? Yes. When John the Baptist heard in the prison of the works of Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And the blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. Okay, well, there's, a, there's quite a bit in this gospel to unpack. Let's start off with, why is John the Baptist unsure Jesus is the, quote, one who is to come, unquote? Is he being on guard for false prophets, or is he not convinced Jesus is the Messiah? I think he's convinced Jesus is the Messiah, but not the Messiah that he expected. Because um, in that time, you know, they were under Roman occupation, they were thinking a Messiah would come who would be in the um, in the line of David. You know, this great king, this great warrior who would raise armies and, and destroy their enemies. And this is, you know, and John was full of that fire. And now he's sitting in prison mm-hmm. because he spoke out, you know, against uh, King Herod's um, marriage. And I, I think there, he's full of doubt right now because it wasn't what he expected. And so he sends the disciples, are you the one who is to come or do we look for another? I think also just like you think about like, he would have had this encounter with Christ, but now he's been in prison. Like we have no idea how long he's sitting in prison. You have no idea. Like, is this truly the Jesus that you saw that you baptized? 
or is this, you know, potentially someone else? Like, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know how long time's passed. We don't know how long John the Baptist has been imprisoned at this point. Like, there's no calendar. Matthew doesn't tell us, you know, John the Baptist in prison for the last six months. We have no idea. So there's definitely kind of some of that unknown, you know, who knows how long he's been there. And then you think, all right, if he's been there for some time, you know, is this truly the same Jesus that he baptized, that he had this encounter with at the Jordan River? Or is it someone else? Or maybe his, uh, maybe being in prison has broken his will a little bit and he's starting to doubt, yeah. starting to doubt everything. Potentially, yeah. I always wondered, you know, John and Jesus were cousins. Now, were they first cousins or second cousins? We get the idea in the Bible about the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is John's mother. Mary is quite a bit younger than Elizabeth. But they knew each other, so much so that they shared the joys of expecting children at the same time. And Jesus and John are approximately the same age. I just wonder if they had any interaction with each other beforehand as they were growing up which would have given them, you know, some knowledge of the other person and all the rest. There's a lot of questions that we have yet that are, I look forward to putting to them when I enter the kingdom myself. <laughs> well, John the Baptist be wearing when you, you know, eat it. <laughs> well, I just wonder if he'll have any animals, any pets with him, you know. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. Or if the locusts will stay away from him. The locusts. <laughs> and the wild honey. <laughs> No, but those are really interesting questions, I think, you know. Yeah, because as cousins, they might have spent time together growing up. Sure. They lived in the same area. Yeah, I think it's a challenge which was a challenge of everybody. Because, for example, here, if you read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 27, it really says that the one who is coming after him is greater to the point that he can even he cannot even untie or lose the strap of his sandals. Mm-hmm. So he has an idea of Jesus who is coming, but to have a full and a clear idea, it is still early, mm-hmm. as others have said. Hmm. Interesting. And yet he recognized him. When he baptized him, you know, when mm-hmm. when when uh, Jesus came to be baptized, John recognized him as the Messiah. You know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's uh, there's something very mysterious, very very wonderful going on here. You know, as far as their relationship and what that means for us. It does kind of make you wonder, like how much interaction did they have when they were young? Like, because mm-hmm. like when you go to the Holy Land. So the site where Mary and Elizabeth would have met would have been somewhere like just outside of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So it would have been a little bit of a distance from Nazareth. Mm-hmm. But it's still obviously there's some kind of closeness that Mary would have left to go help take care sure. of Elizabeth, knowing that she's six months pregnant. You know, how much time do they spend together? You know, what does that relationship look like? We just don't know. We don't know. The one thing we do know is that even in the womb, John recognized who Jesus was. Oh, yeah, look for Jordan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a line kind of in the middle of the gospel after uh, Jesus sends them back to John and, and says, tell them about what you hear and see. And he ends that with, and blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Yeah, I think that that's very important, you know, because 
Our, our Lord is asking for a pure faith, is what he's asking for. Believe me, because I tell you that this is my Father, and this is the will of God, and all the rest of that. And yet, everybody was had their own image, their own idea of who this man was. And a lot of the, their ideas were just dramatically wrong. And so our Lord is just saying, I'm glad for those who believe in me or are not scandalized in me, you know. And I think that's still true today, you know. I think our Lord is a scandal for some people. They have their own image of what Jesus is. Well, and even today, we, you know, there's a lot of Catholics sitting in the pews that don't believe in the real presence or don't right. understand the real presence. That's right. And how often, like, we want to put Jesus kind of in a box, like, yeah, this is the kind of Jesus that I like. I like when he's doing this love and this and that. I'm not so sure about him flipping money tables and you're driving people out of the temple. Like, let's just kind of erase that part of Jesus, put him over here. And, you know, here's Christ kind of saying, like, the blessed are those who are not scandalized by me, you know, that are able to, you know, see the trueness, you know, through that faith that Christ truly is the Messiah. After Jesus gets done with that, he sends them back to John. And, and he starts talking to them about, uh, he addresses the crowd and starts asking them what they were trying to do uh, when John appeared in the desert. Jesus says, what did you go out to see? Is he questioning them about, were they just following the crowd? Or is he questioning their motives there? I would say it's a little bit of both, like questioning kind of like their motives why, why do they want to go out and see this John the Baptist? Is it, you know, is it because that's where the crowd's going? And you kind of feel like, well, I kind of got to go out and see this guy. Like, everybody's talking about him. Like, I'm going gotta, I gotta to kind of take a gander, you know. And I'm sure there's some that went out there, you know, were hoping to be kind of that reed swayed by the wind, you know, hoping to find the John the Baptist who is a people pleaser that kind of, you know, stroke their egos. Oh, you guys are great, you know, people. You're God's chosen people. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. You know, but little did they know, you know, that John the Baptist is kind of a, an awakening call, almost like kind of like, you know, a football coach at halftime when you're down, like a football coach is going to kind of spur you back on it going like, we got a lot of work to do. So the reed swayed by the wind is a reference to everybody just going along with the, the lemmings going along with the crowd. That like kind of like a people pleaser, like you enjoy it. So you kind of just flow along, kind of go wherever the wind takes you. It's almost like a windsock. He was trying to clarify, for me anyway, he was trying to clarify for them their own image of what the Messiah is, who the Messiah is, and what the Messiah's messengers were all about. You know, I'm sure there are some people who are very disappointed in John the Baptist. I can't I can't follow somebody like this. He he eats, you know, grasshoppers and he's clothed in stuff that I wouldn't even put in the washing machine. I mean, that kind of stuff. And so he's trying, well, why did you go out to the desert? What do you expect to see? You expect to see some kind of magnificent king in, in distinguished clothes and all this? And why did you go out? And then he, he really summarizes it all by saying, a prophet, you better believe he was a prophet. You know, the best of all the prophets, you know. And uh, so it was quite a compliment that he gave to him. You asked earlier, Tony, about the rejoice. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that rejoice this year is doing is it is focusing in on the on John the Baptist, but one of the things that was said, and and I'm guilty of this, because the main presenter, Father Toop, said we get so caught up in the appearance and the diet of John the Baptist that number one, um, we miss his interior strength, and number two, we miss the call that he gave to us, 
to make the path straight, to turn your life around. And you can't do that if you're just a reed in the wind. You've really got to take his message to heart. So really, you could draw a parallel between John the Baptist and, and you guys as priests. Because you, you've been sent to make straight the path, haven't you? Isn't that part of your mission? Even mm-hmm. every baptized. Yeah, because in the baptized, we become priest, prophet, king. Yeah. So each of us is called to do that. So everybody that's been baptized mm-hmm. has yes. been called to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, interesting. I think he's also kind of attacking preconceived notions. I think people have a preconceived notion in their mind about what who God is, about what Jesus was really like. And it's easy for us to get off the track when we judge everything by our preconceived notions. Just to make it a kind of a practical thing, I, I go back to the days before television, so I'm not old. And I can remember listening to my favorite people on the radio. And once in a while, you'd be able to you'd be able to see them. They might come to town for a special event, or maybe you'd see them in a show on a theater or something like that, a movie. And I was always surprised uh, when I saw them in person because they didn't match my preconceived notions of what they looked like, you know. And uh, and even today, you go and you see somebody in person, a famous movie star or a rock star or something. Uh, it's a little bit harder today because we've got pictures of them beforehand. But uh, I remember when I, when I saw Pope John Paul II, I, I was amazed at uh, how he was different than what I actually thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that he was worse, he was better, in fact, but uh, not as tall as I thought he would be, you know. Uh, so it's, it's just a different, different little idiosyncrasies, like he groaned a lot. <laughs> I never considered the Pope groaning a lot, but... Uh, in the time that we were together, he groaned quite a bit. And I don't know if that had anything to do with meeting me, but anyway, <laughs> just a different, different kind of situation, you know. So yeah. that that that's kind of what um, that's kind of what Jesus is saying when he says, "Those who wear fine clothing are in are in royal places." Mm-hmm. So he's really questioning the Jews' preconceived notion about the early the earthly king, or like you said earlier, Father Marty, the warrior king that. Uh, that the Jews thought was going to be the Messiah. That's right. Did Pope John Paul II kind of crack the whip like John the Baptist did on you? Not on me. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I don't know the groaning if it was kind of... I'll tell you about another Pope, Pope Benedict, before he was Pope. I I was lucky, blessed, if you will, in meeting him as well. I, I met three Popes in one year. I couldn't believe it. But anyway... I was afraid to meet. How did you accomplish that? Well, because we had the, those popes where he had Paul the Sixth, he had John Paul the Second, and John Paul the First, all within a year's time. They weren't all popes, all no, the no, no, there no, you no, go. No, there no, you no, go. No, they were not all. Popes, there you but, go. But uh, I don't know why people are thinking that we we cycle through popes like a well, like a raffle machine. For a while, <laughs> we were, to be honest, Such in, in 1978, in, in September and in October of 1978, we thought we were cycling folks that way. But uh, I remember meeting uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict, and everybody was nervous about him because he had a reputation of being very severe and very stern and very conservative and all the rest of that. And, and I can remember meeting him in St. Peter's Square with Father Gary Beckman and 
Father Beckman said, there's Father, there's Cardinal Ratzinger. And, well, why don't we go up and, and say hello to him? And I said, oh, Gary, we don't want to do that. Haven't you heard his reputation? You know, we might be interrupting his work or something. And, and he said, no, no, we're going to go over and talk to him. You do all the talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he turned out to be the nicest man in the world. Gentle, loving. He would have given us the, all the time we wanted to talk to him. He wasn't at all as harsh as his reputation. So it's kind of like your reputation with long homilies. They're not as long as what people make them out. They're not as long as people think they are. They're longer, especially <laughs> especially if you fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> so, so Father Gary had a preconceived notion about Cardinal Ratzinger he that did. didn't prove to be true. That's true. That's yeah. true. And then the, the Bible end, or the gospel reading ends, the last line says, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's he referring to here? I, I think there's two things at play here. Because first of all, John always went first. Okay. Okay. So he went before announcing, he went before Jesus announcing the Messiah. And he would also go before him in death. And so there, I think, is a little bit of play. And then the other one too is, what was John's primary mission? It was never to bring attention to himself. Right. He always pointed the way to the Messiah. He had. And I think that's what Jesus is coming from um, because he goes, no one, you know, John the Baptist is, is the greatest prophet, but everyone else is greater than he in the kingdom because he pointed other people. That's the way that I look at it. He knew his place. It wasn't to be the greatest. It was to be the least. It's like you said, was that last week or two weeks ago that, that, John the Baptist had to decrease so that Jesus could increase. Amen. I think this is a, a good example of humility, of being humble. Sometimes, as a human beings, we would like to take credit. Yeah, I made it. I made it. But really, John the Baptist it is showing us that uh, we need to seek always to decrease so that Jesus may increase. And it's interesting with this, like, because you look at your verse right before you, know, he's talking about among those born of women, there's been none greater than John. And it almost kind of seems like, man, you're kind of almost like kind of backhand him in the, the next line, you know, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So it kind of seems, you know, describe John as one who straddles the threshold of the old and the new, you know, because he has John has one foot in the time of preparation. He is less than the saints of Masonic times. But at the same time, you know, we're going to see that ultimately what his execution will be like. So it's one of those ones of the Masonic saints, those in the Old Testament are there in heaven. John's not quite there yet, but he's ultimately leading others, you know, to Christ who will then go to heaven. You know, if you follow Christ to the fullest, you know, you've been given that opportunity to make it to heaven. So John, he's helping to lead people there, but he himself is not yet into heaven. So he is the least of those in heaven, because John the Baptist is still alive. He hasn't died yet at this point when Jesus is talking. Well, and isn't he kind of pointing to the fact that we have a chance, if we make it to heaven, we have a chance to be greater than John the Baptist? I guess I don't, me personally, I don't see different rankings yeah. per se in heaven. I see it's an opportunity for us to, you know, to be able to worship God to the fullest of our soul's abilities. So I don't, I don't necessarily think of like, there's going to be like kind of a seating section, like, you know, you've got your good Catholics in those back pews and, you know, those super close. Like, I don't see kind of a ranking per se among humans. It's not like there's going to be cheap seats in heaven. Yeah. Father James has reminded me something that uh, John the Baptist 
is the only prophet who lived the Old Testament and the New Testament. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you have it. There's a good place to uh, end our discussion. Uh, that wraps up our discussion for Sunday's Gospel. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Father Dennis, Father Marty, Father Mike, and Father James. And we just finished getting their perspective on Gaudete Sunday's Gospel. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Uh, tell somebody about it. Spread the word. Let them know we're here. Uh, now we're going to move on to the second half of our show. And the second half of our show is going to be a tribute to Father Dennis and his time here in Burlington and in the United States. Um, you're getting ready to go back to Tanzania? I think so. Father Dennis's time in Burlington is drawing to a close, and we wanted to take some time and talk to Father Dennis about his faith journey that brought him to Divine Mercy Parish in Burlington, Iowa. Well, you know, um, one of the things... When we first started discussing Father Dennis coming to Burlington, it was right after my surgery and my diagnosis, my official diagnosis. And at the time, I was not doing very well. And so um, Bishop Zincula asked if we would be willing to take on a, another priest um, here in Burlington to assist um, through the transition. You know, after Father James and I talked, we talked with Miguel and um, from the diocese and Father Hennon, the vicar general, the bishop. We were on a Zoom call together, and we thought this would be a good fit for Father Dennis. And as they say, the rest is history. And I'm very appreciative that um, for all the work that Father Dennis has done, we're going to miss you. Well, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. It's been a blast having you here at the parish, Father Dennis. So we look forward to this next month and. How many more lives you, know, you can continue to change with your ministry and wish you the best of luck when you head back to Tanzania. Thank you so much. Father Dennis, uh, you have affected people's lives in a way that you're not aware of yet, but you will be within the next month, I'm sure, when people don't realize that the days are drawing short before you leave. I just want to thank you personally for all that you've done for me and for the rest of the clergy here and the people of, of Burlington. Uh, uh, you become more popular than any of the others of us, and that's, 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 that's probably only because you're not officially connected as an administrator of the parish, but uh, people love you, and uh, you have been an outstanding example of what a priest is supposed to be. So thank you very much for all you've done for us. And just, uh, you know, you always ask news and notes before we start. Mark your calendars, folks. January the 8th, 2023. Following the 1030 Mass, we'll have a little farewell party for Father Dennis over at the St. John Hall. And you won't have to play ping pong to tell to let everybody know how good you are at it. If you really want to get on his good side, call him the Slam in Tanzania. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good night. Absolutely. God bless you.
Now, now what was that music from? Tanzania. I mean, was it a church celebration? Yes. Or a, it yeah, was a church celebration. It was celebration. the mass, yeah. It was the mass? Yeah. Really? Yes. Interesting. It is, um, the, the message is, I have finished my journey. I have kept my faith. I have finished the race. Huh? I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. Very good. Mm-hmm. Well, we are, uh, that was a, a selection of music that Father Dennis pulled up from Mass in Tanzania. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of the show talking to Father Dennis about uh, his experiences with the church and his experiences as a priest and in the United States. And we'll talk a little bit about how Tanzania and the United States are alike and are different. And we'll have him reflect a little bit on his time here and the church. We'll just jump into it here. What did your spiritual childhood look like in Tanzania? Yeah, um, first of all, I would like to apologize to the listeners because my throat, my throat is not really good. You know why? It is cold outside. <laughs> but I will try. Yeah, um, first of all, my childhood... I come first from a family of uh, seven children, okay. meaning five boys and uh, two girls, and uh, I am in the middle. So for me, because my mom was a Catholic, my dad is a Catholic, and uh, my grandmother, my grandfather, the whole family, we are Catholics. So we grow into that faith. That atmosphere of faith. If you don't go to church, maybe on a Sunday, you don't have the right to eat. Yeah. No, if you don't go to church, there is no lunch. So that is how we grew up when uh, you feel it and uh, you develop into that uh, situation and environment. Your faith and your religion was a part of the family. It was yes. a part of your town. No. No? Yeah, mostly... Um, you find the families, like in my family, or in my country I'm born, I'm born. The majority are Catholics, so that helps a lot. Now, you're originally from Burundi, yes. correct? Mm-hmm. And that is a Catholic country. Yes. And Tanzania is not so much a Catholic country? Yeah, it is, but compared to Burundi, Tanzania is, is less Catholic. It's less Catholic, okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, talk a little bit about Tanzania. Is it a rich country, a poor country? Is it urban, rural, a mixture? Does it have uh, big cities, small towns like the United States, or is it... Oh my gosh, it is a combination of so many things. Okay. You can be in one town and you are confused whether you are in Chicago or you are in Tanzania. Those are big towns. But uh, in other places, like in rural areas... For sure, those are the poor areas. So Tanzania is a developing country. It is really progressing well. So it's a developing country. It's not as 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 rich as the United States. No, no, no. And the poor in Tanzania are really poor, not like the poor in the United States. No, they live under one dollar a day. One dollar a day. Yes. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's poor. But not everyone. Some are really. Even rich more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did that time in your life influence your decision to become a priest, your vocation? Yeah, because of that uh, background of my my family, even my my peers, it becomes easier to continue the, my vocation. 
For example, in my parish, we have a, a club. And that club is to train people, especially the youth, to know your vocation. To know whether you have a vocation to become a priest or if you have no vocation. So it is a moment in that club, we go there when you are in the primary school and you grow, in, you grow also into that club. At the end, you can see this is not my vocation, this is my vocation. Okay, so they start in, in Tanzania and in Burundi, they start grooming and, and asking the questions and seeing if you're called to be a priest or if you're called to a vocation. I imagine, and now are the girls, do they have a similar thing to yeah, become yeah, nuns? Yeah, the group, the, the club is of girls and boys. Okay. And the pastors are the ones who are taking care of it as just pastoral, one of the pastoral activities of the parish. Interesting. So after you became a priest, um, what kind of assignments did you have in Tanzania, and and how did that how did that influence your desire? Did you have a desire to come to America, to the United States, or how did that whole thing come about? Yeah, my my um, activities after my ordination are really are really complex because immediately after my ordination, I was appointed to be uh, like a president or a lecturer or a representative of a formation house or a propedetic seminary where candidates to priesthood stay for one year of spiritual meditation. Oh, okay. So they stay there. There is no assignment. There are no examinations for the whole year. It is silence and prayer. Hmm. So there, when I was, that was my first appointment. And I did that from, I think, 2009 to 2015. Oh, six years. Yeah. So is, is this something that the, the students in your club, if they thought that they had a calling to be a priest or a vocation, then they would go to the spiritual? Yes. And, and spend a year... Yes. To further develop that. You are right. After high school and uh, or after universities, you have to come back into that formation house. And it is really tough because if it is not your vocation, you cannot stay for the whole year. Mm. Because you will see that this is my journey, this is not my journey. And I heard also the Pope is uh, trying to ask the church in America to introduce this this uh, this program of propedetic seminary, oh, that will be wonderful if it can take place. Because, you know, you have people from different backgrounds, from different families, from different level of faith. So when they stay there for one year, it is a time to shape them before they go to the major seminary. Okay, so it's a... It's a chance to give them a better foundation. Oh yes, you are right. To 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 um, build their house upon or build yeah. their vocation upon. Yeah, because some come, they don't know the basics of the Catholic faith because maybe they grew up in a college or they didn't get time to go in the seminary or a school or or maybe their Catholic families school. weren't as religious as yours were. Yeah, something like that. So when they come there. Of course, they learn. It doesn't mean that they don't learn. They learn and they grow spiritually. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Other 
responsibilities, which I did, I was doing that also being the vocations director. Oh, for the whole, for the diocese? Yeah, for the diocese. Is, is Tanzania broken up into parishes, dioceses, mm-hmm. just like the United States? Yeah. That's a, a pretty universal thing then? Yeah, yeah. And also, I was the confessor and the retreat master of the Sisters of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Really? Yeah. So I was doing those three ministries. But on the top of that, I was also the coordinator of one German youth organization working in my diocese. That organization sends the youth from Germany to our diocese, and they like five each year, and they stay for the whole year hmm. doing some activities in the diocese. But they come back and they stay with me. They were coming back and stay in their home, which was, of course, my compound. So those were too much to me, but I don't know how I, I did it. I was going to say, and this was all right after you, you were ordained a priest? Yes. So you were kind of out of the frying pan right into the fire. You didn't get a whole lot of time to nope. even do, nope. develop your skills as a priest. I remember <laughs> even one day I went to the bishop. And the idea was to resign. <laughs> because I asked the bishop, Bishop, can you give me someone to assist me? And they said, I'm thinking about it. And I said, man, this is too much. I went to the bishop planning to, to resign or do something or tell him that if you don't give me someone, please find another person. But I did not say it. <laughs> I did not. Well, the bishop obviously had bigger plans for you. I know, I know, but it's too tough. Africa in general is seeing a, a, a big growth in the Catholic population there. Why do you think that is? That is a wide question, but I think one big answer, which can summarize so many things, is the focus on the family. Okay. In any parish, in any diocese, there is what we call family apostolate. Mm-hmm. At the parish level, dinner level, and the diocesan level, we do have those family apostolate. And how do, do, how do they work? You focus on the family. You empower the family because the family will go ahead and empower the children. So that is oh, one. okay. So because if the family doesn't have a stronger faith, it becomes even hard for the children really to do something. And also uh, education of religious education of children, really, that is tough. You have to make sure that really this candidate is ready for communion or is ready for confirmation. If he is not ready and he fails the examination for communion, he goes back and they begin again. Wait, 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 wait. Examination for communion? Oh, yes. You, they oh, have yes. to take a test? Oh, before? yes. Oh, Seriously? Yes. You have to do a test of catechesis. The whole catechism of the Catholic Church, that is what we use to teach uh, the kids, for example, for communion. So there are parts which are reserved for communion candidates. You teach them, you make sure you help them, you guide them, and they do a test. Those who succeed, they will get communion. Those who do not, they go back 
and, and study. keep studying until they can pass the test. Yes. That is a radical departure from what we do in the United States. Wow. And you know why we do that? There's no bad intention. Because when you give maybe communion to a, a, a young kid who is not really formed into that sacrament, which is so huge, mm -hmm. it doesn't help him anything. And are all the are all the sacraments that way? Then is, is uh, confirmation that way? Confession oh, yes. that oh, way? Yes. Oh yes. And there's a there's a test before each one of those for sacraments confirmation? for confirmation. Oh yes. What about confession? Even confession is part of those questions, and the examination is done by the catechist. Mm -hmm. Okay. But also the pastor has his own time to prove that those who have passed the test have really passed the test. Are really good candidates. Interesting. Yeah. The the Christianity in the United States is seeing a polar opposite pattern from Africa. I mean, the, the Christianity in the United States. I think the latest statistic I heard was that forty percent of the population are atheists or agnostics at least. Do you believe that the attack on the family in the United States, no fathers in the home, abortion? Uh, is that part of the reason for that? or I think it is a combination of so many things. Because, you know, the church is not an, an independent entity. Mm -hmm. The church is part of the society. Okay. So if the society is affected, even the church is affected. Okay. So what is affecting the society penetrates into the church to the point that even those who are members of the church, they are affected, but they don't know even that they are affected, many of them. Because it is a kind of assimilation. For example, you can preach about abortion, for example, and someone comes and says, Father, how can you preach like that? Or another just topic. You cannot say like that. That means that person is a Catholic, but he which has been assimilated into the secular culture, and he doesn't see any longer the, the, the light of Christ through that priest. So it becomes a relative moralism that comes into the church? So someone then starts to make, as we have been saying, his own church. I wanted the church, but I don't like this. I wanted the Catholic church, but I don't like this. Now that becomes a big challenge. It's like Father James was talking about in the gospel discussion about, I like the Jesus who's love your neighbor as yourself and that, but I don't like the Jesus who is turning over the tables in the temple. Yeah, I like even history. I have been reading the history of this country. We have people have passed this through many things. Mm -hmm. Like when you read about the sexual evolution, oh my goodness, so many things happened which are not compatible with the Catholic Church. Right. So I really understand the reason of some of many things. At the beginning, I was like, wow, wow, wow. But now I know the background. I know why people are the way they are. There are so many things, and we need even to pray for them because it is too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about marriage preparation and marriage in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it sounds like it's obviously more serious in Tanzania than that marriage is taken more seriously in Tanzania than it is here. How does marriage prep compare in Tanzania to marriage preparation in the United States? 
First of all, when you become a couple for marriage prep, we advise to see if you are really a Catholic. We go back to communion. Okay. We go back to confirmation, those topics, to see if you are really mature and strong in faith. So, uh, marriage becomes a way like to revive the faith of somebody. Okay. And the second, something which is very, very much focused on is really to make the couple see that this is a sacrament in which Christ is the witness. So it is not, people don't know even that there is dissolution or whatever, maybe marriages or people don't have that idea. That comes as an outcome, but mostly they know marriage is forever. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are cases, but that idea of the sacrament is very important. And it takes time to prepare them. It depends on the pastor sometimes, but it takes time. Just quickly, baptism in Tanzania, do you baptize babies or do you wait till they're of age, of reason? Yeah. or Babies. It, it baptize babies? Yeah, babies. <coughs> so it depends sometimes, but it is the age of baptism. What about confessions in Tanzania? Are, are, are confessions in Tanzania wildly different than they are in the United States? Yeah, uh, it depends on the places now, because I can see a kind of influence. In some places, when you say that we have a confession on Saturday, Oh my goodness, that day is just for that. You cannot plan or do any other activity. It will be for confession. But in other places, it is like here. You call people for confession, they come 10, 20, 30, but not a big number. So it depends on the place. And how often you have confession scheduled there, I suppose. So there is a similarity and also a bit of difference. Um, a couple weeks ago, well, maybe a month or two ago, we, we talked about uh, respect for life. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about that, they mentioned, uh, you mentioned that uh, having an abortion in Africa is against the law. Yes. If we take it to the level of the law, it, it might not even uh, bring the, the weight which it has because people can... Uh, play with the law, I mean the laws, and they do what they want. But it is not, I can say, it is not part of our culture. That's the point. When you talk about it, and even these all moral issues, people are like, wow, what, what are you talking about? So that helps a lot because, you know, the church has its, its roots. Mm-hmm. And when you break away the roots of the church, including moral values, we don't have the church. When you erode the foundation, the, the everything else crumbles. Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, about the rest of your time here in the United States. Oh, yes. What are you looking forward to when you get back to Tanzania? I can't wait. First of all, um, I have stayed here for six years now. Mm-hmm. And now my mind is telling me, well, I'm like divided. I want to go back home, mm-hmm. but I have made families here. I have made friends here. 
Some people are telling me further, we will come to visit you. We will come to visit you. Okay, that is fine. So I want to divide it, but mostly, really, I'm excited. Okay. Because I need to go and apply what I have learned into my place where I was born, where I was brought up, and also help the community and apply the skills which I have now. So what are some of the things that you have learned or acquired or that, that you're going to take back and put to work when you get back home? You will be surprised, but one of the things I might focus on in different ways is the aspect of humility. Sometimes we say, oh, we are humble. We are, we are not in many ways. We in the United States, you mean? Even at home. Even at home, okay. Because the humility we talk about sometimes is not the humility of Christ. It is the humility which we have in our minds. Okay. So what I want to say, I'm going to teach the people, to teach, I mean, in various ways, the need of having a servant leader in the church. To be a servant leader, whether you are a pastor, be a servant. Whether you are a bishop, be a servant. Whether you are a, a member of, or a family member, be a servant. And that changes a lot. Whether you're a parishioner, be a servant. Whether you are a CEO, whoever, be a servant. You will change the world, I tell you. Very good. What are what are some of the things you're going to miss about the United States, about Burlington? Okay, maybe hmm, I food. I will miss uh, pork ribs. Pork ribs. <laughs> <laughs> I will miss pork ribs. Uh, that is my favorite. I will miss chicken, chicken tenders. <laughs> uh -huh. I will miss buffalo wild wings. <laughs> and that is on the side of, uh, of food. But also, I will miss, for example, the company here of my priests. We have been like brothers. Mm -hmm. We live together. We share everything. We share the sorrows. We share the joy. Every day from Monday to Monday. So this is something really which has touched my life and which has touched me. And many people have been asking me, Father, where do you live? At St. John's. Do you have two apartments? No, we have one apartment. Now, do you live in the same apartment? Being three priests? I say, yes. Hmm, how can you do that? <laughs> so you see, uh, my stay here and the life, or my life and my fellow priests here has been a kind of yeah, a learning moment to even to other people. Well, I know that there are a lot of people who are going to miss you when you leave. Yeah, I know. Um, it's been a joy having you here. I know that for sure. Sometimes it is hard to tell for me, but like today I met one person. I don't like to mention his name, but uh, when he saw me, he came further. I heard you are leaving in January on the, I think, the 11th. Mm -hmm. And they said, we will miss you. We will miss you. And when he said that, he wanted like to cry. Mm -hmm. So I saw that feeling and I said, hmm, okay. Um, so you have truly touched the parishioners here too. So I, you, can, you are in the witness <laughs> <laughs> because I can't tell. All right. Well, we're running out of time. So uh, can you uh, do a closing blessing for us? 
Yeah, um, because this is special to to Tanzania. So let me close our show in the Tanzanian style. So I I sing the song of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and uh, we pray together the prayer of Hail Mary. Okay. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Salamu Maria, salamu, salamu bikira, mama Maria, mama wamkombozi, mama Maria, umesha anema nyingi. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. Saint Tony, pray for us. Saint Denis, pray for us. All the saints, pray for us. May the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Dennis. It truly has been uh, a pleasure Thank doing the so interview much. and talking to you. Yeah, I was afraid because of my cough and <laughs> my cold. No, it worked out. Yep. So that does it for this week's show and our discussion with Father Dennis as he prepares to conclude his time in America and head back to his home diocese in Africa. Pastor's perspective for next week will include a rosary with the Joyful Mysteries in honor of Advent and we might even say a Divine Mercy Chaplet. So tune in for that, and we will stay the course in Matthew's Gospel for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Until next week, God has a plan for our salvation, and it begins with the arrival of His only begotten Son in a manger. If you are not actively participating in your Catholic faith, come and join us for Mass. The Advent season is the perfect time to focus on Christ in your life. Keep the candles burning so you can keep Christ in Christmas. Thank you again, Father Dennis. It's been a pleasure. And I'd like to sincerely thank you for your service to Divine Mercy Parish and your participation and contributions to this Pastor's Perspective show. Oh, thank you so much. We wish you all the best in the next phase of your vocation. Please know that we will be praying for you and your continued success. Thank you so much. Please join us again next week when the posse gathers to pray the joyful mysteries of the Holy Rosary and also a Divine Mercy Chaplet. Until then, try to make it to some extra Masses before Christmas. And of course, keep it right here on KCDM for content you can trust. KCDM, listen faithfully. Thanks for joining us, and good night. Mark your calendars, folks. January the 8th, 2023. Following the 10.30 Mass, we'll have a little farewell party for Father Dennis over at the St. John Hall. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 